The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to The Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thought. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring shamanic parenting. Creative dreams and vivid imaginations seem to be standard issue for young children, the very traits that make for creative adults and exceptional human beings. We desperately need brilliant, inspired leaders for tomorrow to create solutions for the problems that we've produced today. Children are naturally shamanically gifted. Through their imagination, they create a matrix at the quantum level for reality to form around. In short, they can perform magic. Until they're taught it isn't supposed to work that way. Our educational system and society at large seem determined to stifle the very traits that create genius in exchange for indoctrination into a system, a system that's rapidly failing us all. How can parents convert, uh, counter the assault on their children's creativity? Well, become as little children, of course. What our shamanically gifted children need is shamanic parenting. How can a 50,000-year-old practice save the brilliant minds and hearts of today? How can learning shamanic techniques free our children's ability to dream a new dream, dream a new future, and magically create their dreams? Our guest this hour, Emilda Alchemist, may have some interesting thoughts on the subject. Emilda is the author of Natural Born Shamans, a spiritual toolkit for life, and her upcoming second book, Sacred Art, A Hollow Bone for Spirit, Where Art Meets Shamanism. She's a shamanic painter and teacher teaching shamanism and sacred art internationally. Emilda pioneered a shamanic program for young people in London called The Time Travelers, offering safe, sacred space for young people to develop a viable spiritual toolkit. Her school of neuroshamanism in Sweden is called True North. Her website, shaman-healer-painter.co.uk. Emilda, thanks for joining us on The Science of Magic. Yeah, hello. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I, we have a lot in common. I just Shamanism and children are just custom-made to go together in my book, so I think we'll have a good hour here. Uh, would you? So we're all on the same page. Would you please define shamanism for us? Yes. Uh, shamanism is a very ancient practice where we are in the world uh, and we do everything through our connection to spirit, meaning that uh, our connection to spirit is always open and spirits, that is to say, beings, powers greater than ourselves, guide everything we do. So we're in constant communication with other worlds, worlds unseen that very much exist. And we're in communication with ancestors, great spirits, deities, and all of these beings inform what we do here in this reality. It's a spirit-led way of life. Mm, Beautifully stated. You know, most people think all shaman are Native American. Where else is shamanism practiced? Uh, All over the world, it's actually uh, the birthright of any culture, like absolutely anywhere in the world, like any continent, anywhere you go. If you go far enough back in time, you're going to find shamanic cultures that were there before the cultures that might be there today. So it really is the birthright of all human beings. You know, I find that uh, some shamanic practices are kind of like attached at the hip to the religion of the culture. Would you speak to that? Yes. Yes. 
It can be so, and I personally see that as a bit of a kaleidoscope, that shamanism has never been a unified practice all over the world. It developed probably in an interconnected but independent way on all of these continents and in all of these locations. So that means it's going to wear cultural expressions, like we human beings wear, you know, clothing and our appearance might be different. And ultimately, I see that as like a big um, temple or a roundhouse that has many doorways. And ultimately, all of these doorways, they, lay, they lead us back to source, to the divine, to unity consciousness. So from my point of view, um, that diversity is something to um, celebrate and take joy in. Do you find that um, we tend to be more comfortable practicing the one that's uh, closest to our heritage? Not necessarily, because I think today in Western culture, for so many people, like, you know, in Western culture, our thinking is very much colored by science and also by Christianity. You know, even if you're not a practicing Christian, it is the dominant sort of religious worldview. And then what happens, because we have become so cut off from our heritage, uh, a lot of people then start looking for spirituality elsewhere. So, for instance, there is a big phenomenon of, say, Europeans or Americans you know, going to do work with Native Americans or they go to South America and maybe do ayahuasca ceremonies or, or other things. Um, so what I observe is that often people will go maybe on one of these trips or work with a teacher really far away. And that opens the work up for them. So there is great value in that. But then at some some point, the question needs to be asked, what is your own heritage? What is your own lineage? And what I do with my own shamanic practitioner students when I'm teaching is that I encourage all of them to really go on a quest. You know, like what were the beliefs and religions of your ancestors as you know it, as you understand it? You know, do journeys on that, meditate on that, you know, talk to living family members who are older, find out like what is in your family, what is in your bloodline. So I very much encourage people to at least do the work of discovering what their lineage is. So where did you study shamanism? Um, in many places, the spirits called me to Sweden, like when I was very, very young, 19 years old, and I'd been brought up a Roman Catholic. And then I met my husband, who is Swedish. And during my first time in Sweden, the Norse cults came and they grabbed me in a way that was a complete shock, but also very, very beautiful. So since that time, I've worked very closely with the Norse cults. And that's why I'm starting the school in Sweden now, as you were saying. But I've also studied with some, um, you know, teachers of core shamanism. So both in the UK, um, I've studied with Sandra Ingeman in the United States and a number of other teachers. They're all honored and listed on my website, like all of them. Um, and I am at the moment a teacher of core shamanism as well, because, you know, for people who do not know what their own cultural lineage is, it is a good way in because it is like a neutral practice that allows you safe ways in and out. But for me personally, my own work is now shifting more towards Norse shamanism again, because for me, that's where it started. And that's the place my soul calls home. Hmm. Well, Michael Harner was the one that created core shamanism. He was an anthropologist, I believe. Yeah, he was. And he actually died on Saturday. He just died. Oh, no. I'm so it's, sorry to hear that. It's a good moment to, to honor him for a moment for all the gifts he made to our world. He yeah. just very recently died. Yeah. Bless his heart. Yeah, he traveled all over the world collecting, putting himself through Lord knows what kind of initiations. He did. Collecting all the practices and then kept only what they had in common and created the core practice. And that's great because you're not appropriating ceremony and it's common to all of us. Yes, that was his great vision. And though it will always remain a little bit controversial where, you know, some people like will have different opinions on that and that is fine. But it is my firm belief that, you know, he gave us a set of tools that have absolutely changed and transformed and improved the lives of many people. You know, in truth, I believe that these tools have saved the lives of people. I've seen that in healing work and, and courses I have taught that it's turned people away from a complete crash course. And it sort of turned him back to spirit. So I think we absolutely need to honor him for a moment in this interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you become interested in working uh, shamanically with children? Well, I am a mother. I'm a mother of three boys. And oh, you poor thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a very lucky woman. <laughs> 
And then I started doing some shamanic training um, in the United Kingdom at Cohen's shamanic intensives. And then I would come home to my three boys who were then like, you know, all, all three of them under the age of six or something. Mm -hmm. So they were quite young. And um, then I would come home and tell them like, mom, where have you been? So I tell them a little bit about what I had been studying. And then they would come in and say, oh, so you've been to that place. But mom, are you aware there's also this place and that place? Oh, yeah, mom, you can do this. But there's like 10 other things you could be doing. And it's like, hang on, wait a minute. I've just <laughs> returned from working with, a, you know, really well-known, wonderful shamanic teacher. And here I come home. I'm getting the master class from my own kids. You got to, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to have to pick up on, on children and them teaching us what we need to know about shamanism on yes. the other on the other side of a quick break but it, it is a fascinating subject one of one of my absolute favorites so it is that magic moment and it's time for a short break first let me tell you about an exciting upcoming provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment shamanic style Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow, and Children of Tomorrow, Galactic Gatekeepers, are revolutionary affordable series of online classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition. They'll be coming soon to findyourpathhome.com, so stay tuned to be the first to experience these amazing classes. Again, that address is www.findyourpathhome.com. Emilda and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. Remember, you can always listen to episodes free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. This is The Science of Magic with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Gwilda Wiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of The Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? 
Find out more, Exxon Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Emilda Alchemist, author of Natural Born Shamans, a spiritual toolkit for life, and her soon-to-be-published book, Sacred Art, a Hollow Bone for Spirit, where art meets shamanism. Her website, shaman-healer-painter.co.uk. Emilda, we were just having fun talking about children and shamanism and how my kids taught me shamanism to start out with. It was I thought, oh, honey, it's just your imagination, right? But then they were accurate with what they were seeing. Of Tell course. Us a little bit more about it, yeah. Yeah, it's well, that's why I've given the my book the title Natural Born Shamans because I truly believe that, you know, we all start life as magical children, natural born shamans and very young children naturally operate in the zone we're talking about where we're feeling the interconnectedness of all of life and, you know, magic comes very naturally to us. But then unfortunately, as we grow older and there is like parenting and cultural conditioning and we go to school, all of these layers of conditioning come in and it gets gets pushed very far down. But it is my experience that the magical child or the natural born shaman can still be accessed in everyone who's alive today. It will take more work for some than for others, but it's there within us and all of us can do the work of reconnecting to that and and, and working with that. And yes, children, uh, if you have access to children, they are the most fabulous teachers in in this process. I remember um, I was teaching shamanism to children, and I had a room full of six kids, okay? And I taught them how to journey to lower world. They came back, and they were comparing notes. Did you see me? I saw you at the lake. What were you doing on the other side? I saw you fly. I mean, I'm going, wait a minute. I told you no. (laughs) You stay put. (laughs) But they were actually communicating with each other in non-ordinary reality. Have you experienced that? Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, children have gone on journeys and also this works for groups of adults as well, but it's the same for children that often if you have a group of however many people, their journeys are going to be mapping something. So the great time comes is when you do sharing time, because again, you get a whole kaleidoscope of experiences that, you know, someone gets one aspect or one place and then someone gets something else and someone gets the connecting piece. And then when the whole group has shared, it's like, wow, there's a whole new territory, territory that has being mapped and described and it becomes visible and accessible to all of us so absolutely yes Mm. you know before we go much further we better define journey what is the shamanic journey the shamanic journey is something we have to thank michael harner for um and essentially it is an intentional moving into a mildly altered state of consciousness that is generally done by means of drums and rattles. You could also do it using music or some people like silence or dance movement. Really, there are many ways of doing it. But through that mildly altered state of consciousness, like our soul goes on soul travel. It goes on a journey where it accesses other worlds. It moves through portals. You just mentioned the lower world, but in core shamanism, there's also the middle world and the upper world. So we go on an intentional journey where our consciousness visits places that are real and then we come back with those experiences and then we can talk about it to others and compare notes. How does that compare to remote viewing? Um, Well, it becomes a matter of definition, but for me, remote viewing is more a case of that I stay put and I am aware I stay put but kind of I dissolve the connection between me and whatever I am looking at, meaning that all of my senses and my psychic awareness are in gear. So I wouldn't go on a journey for that, but I'd kind of like open the portal between me and whatever person or location or situation I am connecting to. And then the spirits would like move that into view. And then, you know, distance would dissolve. It would be like I am there and I would see what is happening there. Slightly different way of working. How do you feel about permission? Like, if we can do that, that could be pretty violating if we don't have permission. Well, absolutely. There is such a thing as voyeurism. And one should never use shamanism for voyeuristic means, obviously. And that's also, you're right, why in shamanism, 
per, you know, in any form of spiritual work, like any school of thought, uh, permission is an absolute key issue. So you never do work for anyone without their consent. You don't even pray for anyone without their consent because prayer is a form of energy work. You're certainly not going to go and check on people, yeah, unless there is a crisis on it needs to be done. But even then, what we teach in shamanism is if you're in a kind of like, say, someone is on a life support machine or say uh, an accident has happened and you don't know what has happened to a person. So shamanism teaches that when you cannot communicate with the person in ordinary reality, like you and me are talking now, you can always do a journey where you talk to the higher self of the person. So outside time, you talk to their higher self, the piece of them that is outside time and contactable. And then uh, you ask for permission there and then. And then you follow whatever you get. If you're not sure about it, you ask for a second opinion. You ask your colleague to also go in and make the same journey, just to be absolutely sure that that is the guidance you're receiving. You're getting a green light or a red light. Yeah, yeah, very, very well put. So what results have you seen from teaching the children's shamanic techniques? Uh, well, what I've mostly seen is that I have been learning a lot of new shamanic techniques. And I've certainly done, uh, you know, like I've done things with them. People can read that in my book, like from all over the world. I've like, tried to make it because also I, I work in London, which is a very multicultural place. So I have children in my group from very different backgrounds. And uh, yeah, so I've certainly introduced mainstream tools to them, like, you know, and they have done very well with that. Um, but they've always taught me more in return. But some applications, like the children in my group have, for instance, used shamanism to sort out situations in school where bullying occurred. And that's like one example. We even made a film about that, which people can see on YouTube. Um, but that's like a very, very concrete thing that, you know, there was a period where it was a new school year and all the kids in my group went back to school or even they had new schools. And several parents contacted me and said, like, bullying seems to be an issue and intimidation. Can you do a session on that as they go back to school? So I did that. But then the really important thing is for me not to think, oh, I'm the shamanic teacher. I'll tell you what to do because then they do not own it. So it's more a case of I open the sacred space and, you know, like as you know, I hold the container. But then I say to the children, please go to your own spirit allies use, using the means available to you because they've been doing shamanic work for a while. And you ask your spirit allies what can be done about bullying. And then again, when you have a larger group of children and maybe at that point had eight or nine children for that session, they all come back with something slightly different. And mm -hmm. all of the things they bring back is the kaleidoscope again, are all viable tools. So in a relatively short session, you suddenly have like eight or nine very viable techniques that really all children, if they're open to it, can use to resolve bullying type issues. And all adults can use in, 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 in the workplace or in their families. You know, it's, it's amazing because it's kind of like um, we are left with rituals uh, for shamanism. Um, and yet now, because of the ability for us to journey in present time, instead of relying on what our ancestors came up with, we can create living shamanism again so that we're creating solutions for today's problems with a toolkit, as you said, from the skill set. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, and I love the way you put it. I love the phrase living shamanism because that is exactly, that's what it is and what it needs to be. Like, you know, it cannot be like a, a dead practice we revive. For it to be contemporary, it needs to be completely in the moment, like like you say, and it needs to address the issues that people face today because otherwise it's not like they're not going to get the most from it. Yeah, you know, the, the techniques that have been handed down are viable, but they were created at a different time for a different people. And there's a lot of complaining about appropriating ceremony. Well, when you can journey for yourself, you really don't have to appropriate. It's given to you as you need it, when you need it. Yeah, but that's what people do not realize. The issue of cultural appropriation is a really big thing. And as I said earlier, many people start off that way, going to another culture. But, you know, like so many really bad things have happened. We've taken land from people and Western cultures and crossed on people and brought terrible things. So we have to have respect for these cultures that still practice shamanism today. And it really is not okay to go in there. Like there's many powerful reasons why that is a very, very valid concern. But the thing is, it is not necessary because as you say, we can go to our own spirit allies and say, 
please give me a ceremony for this group of people or please give me a tool for this situation I'm experiencing now in my family or in my workplace. So there is no need to practice cultural appropriation. We can receive it directly from our own spirit allies. And that's so important um, because you're getting something custom made versus patching something together that wasn't yours to start with. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, when we're starting to learn to journey, uh, how do you suggest people learn to do that? What's, what's a good, good resource? Well, there are many like out there, there are like drumming tapes, there are online courses, there are books. I mean, there is so much available. I know Sandra Ingeman teaches a really good like uh, shamanic journeying course on the Shift Network. And also I think recordings have been made so you can access it even if you weren't on the course at that time. But also like many teachers of shamanism offer introduction courses. So what I would say is rather than experimenting on your own, I think the best thing to do is commit to an introduction course with a teacher of good reputation, someone who is experienced and allow that teacher to take you through some of the key things. And then by the end, one day or even two days you have this marvelous toolkit but also in those courses and I teach them myself there is an emphasis on safety as well like you know you tell people what is the safe way and the respectful way of doing things and also yes. like ways of doing things that are less safe so that's where you need to teach you for a moment and then once you've got that and you sort of know what the rules and boundaries are then off you go and the whole universe is open to you well, we'll pick up on safety issues shamanically on the other side of a break, but it is that magic moment for another break. Emilda and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so you stay right there. Don't miss all the wonderful things we have to offer on our website, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. This is The Science of Magic with Wild Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. 
It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. If you enjoy all the wonderful topics on our program, visit my blog to ask questions and share thoughts as the adventure continues at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Gwilda and our guest this hour is Emilda Alchemist, author of Natural Born Shamans, A Spiritual Toolkit for Life. Her website is shaman-healer-painter.co. UK. Amelia, we were talking about safety issues. Yes. So what kind of trouble can we get into <laughs> in the spirit world? Well, it's in a way not so different from the world we're navigating every day. Like, you know, we sort of look before we cross the road. We teach our children to be careful. And it is really the same thing with the spirit world that, uh, you know, for some people, there is this idea that spirituality is all about love and light. But in my experience, we have to deal with the shadow as well. And even within the spirit world, there are like places where it's really beautiful and safe to go. But there are also like places where you need to be a bit more careful. Um, so the whole point of the safety guidance is like knowing uh, it's knowing how to go there and to come back. Like as a teacher, you don't want your students going off and not coming back. So you need to go in search of them and like drag them back to this reality. But it's also like sort of telling people, you know, where you can go and it is just beautiful and children do this naturally. But also there are places in the spirit world where there is still a lot of like unresolved things or difficult things are cooking and we just need to be aware of that and if we do not have the tools uh, to deal with that safely uh, then we just should not go there and that's no different from like you know if you live in a big city you're not going to go for a midnight walk in the slums or in the ghetto they're like places you know you should avoid because they're not the right place for you so what advice do you give parents you know i think at least it's been my experience, that children are more tuned in to the invisible things in what we call middle world. In other words, this reality outside of time and space. When a child starts having the monster under the bed scenario, what advice do you give parents? Well, the first piece of advice I give is please never say to your child, it isn't there or don't be silly. Like the first thing is whatever your child presents, you may not see it, but it's there. So you need to take it seriously. Then the second thing is it will depend on how skilled the parent is. If the parent has training in shamanism, then you consult your own spirit allies about what is going on here. Give me a reading and give me a remedy. Like what can I do? But also for many parents, that's not a realistic option. Then it would be time uh, to hire a shamanic practitioner and get a professional to work on your behalf and also get the professional working with the child so the shamanic practitioner can then explain to children that it is like normal it's not uncommon to see things in our room you can give explanations to children and say it is because your inner light is so strong and there is such a beautiful glow around you that you know beings in the other world are attracted by that it really just means you're very attractive and beautiful uh, but then also the shamanic practitioner can put boundaries around that you know can put boundaries in place like you know like you would do a human being saying there is a boundary here and beyond this point you do not go and if things get even more complex say the child has um, spirits in their bedroom who haven't crossed over there might be psychopomp work to be done and this is not uncommon around children then you would do things like working with crystals that get programmed as a waiting room so you create dedicated safe places where these spirits can wait not bother the child the child's not going to see them or feel them and then the practitioner will be doing work with that crystal to empty that out and deal with that so there's a whole 
series of things you can do. It depends on how severe the problem is and what the spirit reading on the situation is. So how common is it for children to be plagued by uh, disembodied spirits, if you will? I would say it's not uncommon. It doesn't happen to all children. I mean, though all children start off as a magical child, it's like anything. Like some children have a talent for music or ballet or sports. There will be children who have a talent for the spirit world and for spirit communication. So I certainly wouldn't say it happens to all children on the planet, but it happens to a larger number of children than you than you may expect. And then often it is pushed away as a, a don't be silly. And then what happens is that families can have sleep disruption for years on end you know you can end up in really and then the whole family ends up exhausted and unable to reach for a good solution um, so it is relatively common and of course you don't know who you're going to give birth to but I personally am campaigning quite hard when I have the opportunity like this interview just to make parents aware and also like grandparents aunties teachers in school whoever has access to children just be aware that this can be an issue so if parents are coming in reporting the child's having a lot of nightmares like goes for medical professionals as well just have the awareness there may be something going on the spiritual level that needs a spiritual solution yeah and the children if they're invalidated then they feel unsafe right because if you don't see what's a threat to them then they're kind of hanging out there by themselves yeah and also then they do not feel they can talk about it next time that's why i said the first rule of the game is no matter if you don't see it you don't perceive it that doesn't matter if a child is telling you there is the you said the monster under the bed then you go right in there into that space with and you say okay so tell me more about this monster when is it there and you know a practitioner would do a piece of work. What is this monster trying to communicate? I mean, I've worked with children who reported, like, say, being chased by a tiger, where a child would have, this is a girl who would have a recurrent nightmare that she was being chased by a tiger, and then she'd wake up in a sweat. And then in the Time Travelers group, we did a piece of dream work on that, dream theater work, where we enacted it to see what might be going on. But we actually discovered that this was her own power animal trying to contact her. But because mm-hmm. she didn't understand what was going on, she went on the run. So also like sometimes actually there is a very benign explanation for why something might be happening, but it just needs that small intervention so you get the right perspective on it. And then it's not at all scary. Then it's just beautiful. What, what, why are children's natural shamanic tendencies invalidated by the current system? Because I think as adults, we are encouraged to grow up within a different paradigm. And like anything that we don't have, you know, like evidence or proof for, we live in a sort of, you know, like we need to have proof to know that something exists paradigm, which is the scientific paradigm. We also live in a culture that's colored by a dominant religion, Christianity, that teaches that we do not talk to spirits and we should stay clear of that. So these two messages together mean that many grown-ups long accept that this is something you push far away, it is not safe or it is scary or kind of like, you know, you don't go there. And then, of course, you try to push that on your children as well. But there are many children being born today. Children are wired for the future, like they have a foot in the future that is beyond our lifetime. But that also means because they're wired for that, they come in ready to create a future here on earth that we will not even be part of. But we have the responsibility to help those children to create the right circumstances for them to plant the seeds and to start preparing the earth for the paradigm that is coming. Mm. Yeah. And boy, they're coming in with the lights on too, aren't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) What, What can we learn from these children about the way life works? Um, I think many, many things, because also children have these really fantastic insights. Like earlier, like last year, I was in the forest with my son, who was 12 years old at the time. So we're in the forest in Sweden, and it was a bit snowy, and it was all very beautiful. And he suddenly stands on a big rock, and he says, Mommy, why do the grown-ups not realize that this whole political climate and all the stuff that is unfolding on a political and economic level and, you know, going into the details, you know, everyone knows what I mean. He says, why do people not realize that we're all co-creating that together? It's like our own thoughts and our own spiritual practices. Like, you know, people talk about it. It's so terrible. And newspapers are so full of about how terrible all these political events are. But mommy, Why don't people realize all of us collectively, we are creating that? Why don't you adults not get that? 
And I said to my son, do you mind if we make a small film of you standing on a rock in the forest and you actually <laughs> saying that? So we made a very small, like just a few minutes film where he oh. explains where he explains this. And it's like, wow, a 12-year-old gets it, gets it. And this is certainly not something I've told him or taught him. If he gets that, uh, then, you know, why can't all of us understand that and take, take her awareness to a whole new level? That's, that's been my experience with kids as well, as if, if they are not invalidated, they have the wisdom for the future that we lack. Yes, absolutely. This is so true. So we've got about a minute left here. So I'm going to start a question. We'll probably have to finish on the other side. But we've been talking about it. What is shamanic parenting? Shamanic parenting is putting spirit at the heart of family life, meaning that everything we do is spirit-led, meaning there is a whole other party in the parenting situation, and that is the helping spirits. So as a parent, how do you use that? Um, that's a big topic. I think maybe people need to read my book where it is explained in detail. <laughs> if we have less than a minute, I'm not sure I can do that in less than a minute. <laughs> how important do you think it is, though, really? I think if it's it's of crucial um, importance because we're kind of on a collision course, like we're doing things to the earth that you know have already become Im irreparable in some ways. So I really and truly believe that this co-creation and working closely with spirit to pull back from that brink and create a new paradigm is of utmost importance. And children are our greatest allies. They are wired for that future. They're here to help us do it. Oh, I know no truer words were ever spoken. So I guess we're going to have to take a break and, and pick up on the other side with this very important uh, topic because we can change tomorrow by listening to our children today. Pretty amazing stuff. But we do need to take another break. Emilda and I will be back shortly. Don't you go away. But before we pause, let me share some great news about an amazing galactic shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to the Future retreat, taught by yours truly. In 2018 Spring Equinox Medicine Wheel Training, it'll be held in beautiful Colorado mountains. Come enrich your life with the power of the universe. Learn to build and maintain your own cross-culture shamanic medicine wheel to support you and your family through these unprecedented times. Join us March 18th through the 22nd for this powerful, life-changing three-day retreat. For more information, contact touchin at findyourpathhome.com or call 303-775-3431. This is The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Exposé Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. 
Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. And I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guess that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Speaking of gifted people of service to the world, our guest this hour is Emilda Alchemist, author of Natural Boar Shamans, A Spiritual Toolkit for Life. Her website, shaman-healer-painter.co.uk. Emilda, we were just about to get into some really interesting stuff about shamanic parenting. Yes, we were. (laughs) And now you have time, so you have no excuse, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, It's just such a huge topic. Where to start? Is there a particular issue you would like to hear about? Well, if a person, let's define it. You know, what does it mean to be a shamanic parent? Well, to me, being a shamanic parent means that there are powers greater than myself. And also, it is for me to accept that my children have their own spirit allies and that those beings are in another world and they have a higher perspective. Because while we're here on Earth, you know, we have the Earth perspective. But the spirits fly free. They, they, they have the higher perspective. So what I am aware of in all my dealings with my own children and indeed the children I teach and work with is that there is this whole party in the room. It is the spirits. It's their own um, helping allies. So... When children hit difficult situations or challenges, a shamanic parent will not only try to solve that. Of course, you give them advice and you talk to them, you do all this normal parenting stuff. Um, But also you bring in those spirit allies. You say to the child, well, have you tuned in? Uh, Have you journeyed on this? What are your own spirit allies saying? And then sometimes also when the spirit allies guide the child, maybe in a way that your conscious mind wouldn't uh, choose, then for me, it's still to sort of respect that the spirits have the higher perspective and to cause that. It's giving the children the space to follow their own instincts and their own um, spirit guidance. And that makes it quite a different deal from, so to speak, regular parenting. Is is there a temptation um, as a shamanic parent to uh, cross the boundaries of permission with your children? And would you speak to that? Well, the teaching in shamanism is that while children are still young, like say when they're very, very young, like say under the age of eight or five, that, you know, parents hold the authority to give permission for their children. Uh, But of course, in reality, or say if parents come to you, if say a newborn baby and some work needs to be done, you know, then we take the consent from the parents. But as I said, in an earlier segment, I would also still do that extra journey, speak to the higher self of the baby and just check in, is this really okay? Um, And as children grow older, even relatively young children, like four-year-olds, when you give them a simple but true explanation of something, we'll be able to tell you of that, yes, I want to do this, or no, this doesn't feel right, or, you know, something needs to be changed about this for this to feel right. So what I always try to do is, though, technically speaking, parents can give consent right up to a child being 16 years old, like in different countries, there are legal, you know, different legal um, limits for that. But in my experience, when children get to an age where you can talk to them, and if they're not impaired, because then another scenario kicks in, then you just also talk to the children themselves. And personally speaking, if a parent wanted me to work with, say, 
a nine-year-old and that nine-year-old said, I absolutely don't want to do this. I would honor the child's perspective and, and not the child's, uh, sorry, the parent's wish for me to do the work. Right. You know, one thing that I've noticed is when you're talking to the higher self of a child, even an infant, you're not talking to a child or an infant. You're talking no, to you're an not. adult. Yeah. But of course, the higher self is outside time. It doesn't incarnate and become a baby again. But that is like absolutely so. But also, that's the really beautiful thing about it with people who are incapacitated. The same goes for people who have a severe mental handicap or some other, you know, illness or something going on that makes them incapacitated in this reality. Their higher self will never be incapacitated. So we can have that dialogue with their higher self for instance, about care decisions or their wishes or whatever the issue is. So you can have that dialogue. It doesn't mean that you get stuck in not knowing and deciding for someone. It's not necessary to do that. Yeah, it's probably pretty necessary not to do that, isn't it, if you think about it? No, but when you think of people like every day all over the world, families make decisions about, say, a thing like turning off a life support machine. Mm -hmm. Like in shamanism, you would say you would never do that without consulting the higher self of the person, but also having the life machine on. It may be that you consult the higher self of the person and you're told that this is holding me back. My time to transition has come. I really need to go now. And as I said, if you're not sure about the guidance, involve one or two more practitioners. If they all receive consistent guidance, then personally speaking, I say there's something being communicated there that holds truth. Mm. You know, many shamanic traditions, we're changing gears a little bit here, believe we dream our reality into being. Would you speak to this? Oh, I absolutely believe that. And this is why I love doing dream work and I've done dream work with children and adults. Um, and also I pay very close attention to my own dreams. And there's not just the dreaming we do at night, but there's also active, intentional dreaming. So for me, the state of dreaming is a state I try to be in for most of the time in different ways because it's, it's so true. And all of us do it. We're all co-dreaming our reality into being. And that's what my son meant when he was standing on a rock in the forest saying we're all co-dreaming this whatever political, economical situation into being. And it's like, mommy, don't you realize we need to change the dream and that is the answer <laughs> you know children have very active imaginations and dreams how can these be used to affect change in the physical world at this time well, I think that is a matter of critical mass because obviously, uh, you know, one well-meaning person uh, doing one journey is not going to change climate change. However, if a larger group of people, you know, is willing to get together and do powerful work, almost nothing is impossible because once we work in the zone of magic and we cancel out time as we understand it in this reality, things can happen unexpectedly. They can happen very, very quickly. Miracles can occur. All of these things are possible, but what it does require is a collective commitment. It cannot be done by one person on behalf of a large number of people. But when groups, powerful groups of people get together, I mean, I see miracles occur all of the time. My life is so blessed because of my profession. You know, I'm in a profession where I see miracles almost every day. So how mm. lucky am I? Exactly, exactly. And it, it kind of opens up um, possibility, doesn't it? Once you see one miracle, you go, hmm. Well, that is possible. Well, what about this? Can we change this? And I think the more of us that get together and create change, the more that change will become obvious and maybe others will engage. Well, that's what we all hope and that's why we're <laughs> doing it. And always with enormous respect for other viewpoints. Like I'm not even saying that everyone should become a shamanic practitioner because I know there are many valid belief systems and people do powerful spiritual work within those belief systems. So not trying to convert the whole world to shamanism, but what I'm trying to say, work with your own, your own lineage, your own heritage, your own belief system, but then use the spiritual, like commit to a spiritual path, whatever it is. And then once you've made that commitment and you've taken the benefits along with the ordeals and the hardships, then really commit to using the tools that you're being offered to bring the change that the world needs so badly right now. Mm -hmm. Do you see us as being in very transitional times? And if so, why? Uh, absolutely, because I think the world is uh, tilting on her axis and we're living in a time of immense paradigm shift. 
And that's like a really risky time because there is turmoil, there is confusion, there is trauma and pain. So these are not easy times to be alive, but it's the greatest gift because these are the times where change can, can occur. And change can only occur when the accepted paradigms and the status quo are being challenged. And we may perceive that as, say, the forces of chaos and destruction coming in, but really those perceived forces of chaos and destruction are ultimately in service to the force of creation. And if you can just hold that larger perspective that, you know, the bringing in of the new, certainly from a human perspective, requires a wiping out of the old. That is never going to be comfortable and it's going to be really traumatic and painful some of the time. But if we could just hold on to that higher perspective and see it as in being in service to something better that is, that, uh, that is coming, then I do believe that we can collectively make this transition and go to the place where the world needs to go. It's rather like childbirth, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I was saying in another interview last week, we're all collectively going down the cosmic birth canal and the contractions are getting stronger and this is not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, not comfortable, but I, I have great hope for the future. If you have one thing to say, uh, real quickly, for parents about their children shamanically, what would it be? I would say really listen to your children. Spend less time talking to them or telling them, you know, what to do. But like really, really listen from the youngest possible age, however way out it sounds. Really, really listen. Even make note of what they say. Keep a journal. Go back to it. Never say, oh, don't be silly. Say, tell me more. Or I don't quite understand that. Can you explain to me how this works? And keep that dialogue open. Uh, like for the rest of their lives or the rest of your life probably will outlive you. But, you know, keep that dialogue open and really, really listen. Don't foist your own limitations onto them. Mm. Well, you know, it's hard to believe, but we're already out of time, Emilda. Oh. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Well, thank you so very much for having me. Our guest this hour has been Emilda Alchemist, author of Natural Born Shamans, a spiritual toolkit for life, and her soon-to-be-published Sacred Heart, a ho- Sacred Art, a hollow bone for spirit where art meets shamanism. Her website, shaman-healer-painter.co.uk. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at thescienceofmagic.net. This has been The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you embrace your inner shaman. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. 
We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.